We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com live podcast. If you're listening over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we do appreciate getting those ratings and reviews, particularly over on Apple Podcasts, the five-star rating, and then leave a question or comment in the review. I love checking those out. So if you're a podcast listener, thank you. And then those of you joining me live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, appreciate all of you coming in here. As you can see, or I guess here if you're listening to the podcast version, but this is a solo show, just me tonight. Like I always say, it's not just me, it's me and all of you. So welcome in. Those of you who are joining me, I'm going to take all your questions and comments. We're going to talk about the Lakers. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs. We just wrapped up our live play-by-play for the NBA front office show. Hopefully some of you were able to come and check that out with us. Keith Smith and myself were over there talking about, well, a lot of things during the game. Also talking about the Mavs and the Suns as that game was going on. We took in that one and we were joined by a special guest. Our old buddy Ron Gutterman stopped in and hung out with us while we watched that game. So that was a lot of fun. If you didn't get in on that one, hopefully you'll get in on the next one that we do. Keep an eye on my social media feed at Trevor underscore Lane on Twitter at Trevor Lane NBA on Instagram for more information on when we're going to do another one of those. It'll be coming up pretty soon though. But in any event, Man, the NBA playoffs, they just keep rolling. And the Suns, what a finish against the Dallas Mavericks. Incredible stuff in the fourth quarter. It looked like it was going to be a really close finish. And then the Suns really pushed down on the gas pedal to finish the game on a 40-26 to fourth quarter. And it wasn't even that close. It wasn't even that close. The Suns were able to take their foot off the gas completely for the last few minutes of the quarter. Incredible stuff from them. Chris Paul, absolutely masterful. Ended up with 28.6 boards and 8 assists. Amazing stuff. I know a lot of you were just checking out that game. And of course, the earlier game, we saw the Miami Heat take a 2-0 lead over the 76ers. The 76ers, they they don't have it. Without Joel Embiid, we'll see if he plays Game 3. But without him, I think they are in big, big trouble. And that series is going to be a short one indeed. All right, I've got a lot of questions and comments that are already coming in. (laughs) <laughs> that are already coming in about this. And the, here's the thing. All right. So like Jesse Nguyen from YouTube said, I hate the Suns, man. It's interesting 
because I don't I don't personally have any kind of particular ill will towards the the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I understand they eliminated the Lakers officially two years in a row. There's that. Phoenix Suns fans hate the Lakers, so they're going to make it a big deal anytime the Lakers uh, are knocked out by the Suns or anything like that. It's going to be a thing. I just, I still, I have a hard time like hating that Suns team, and I get maybe Jay Crowder gets under people's skin. I understand that. Don't get me wrong. Totally understand that. Matt the Optimist Peralta is one of the biggest Jay Crowder haters. He gets the immediate master lock of the night every single time the Lakers play the Suns. But I do think it's interesting that there's a lot of fans out there, a lot of Lakers fans. I'm probably in the minority. There's a lot of Lakers fans out there who really, really dislike the Phoenix Suns. I've been looking at these NBA playoffs as anybody but the Clippers or the Celtics. That was the way that I went into the playoffs. And the Clippers got knocked out very early, um, didn't make it through the play-in. And then on the flip side, the Celtics obviously are still going, just had a really, really good game uh, against the Bucs and, and pulled that series to 1-1. But that, that was my mindset going into the playoffs was, you know what, as long as it's not the Clippers or the Celtics, I'll be okay with that. I'll be okay with whoever wins. A lot of Lakers fans told me, no, 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 no. It's the Suns too. Add them into the list as well as a team that we don't want to see. And I saw there was some smatterings of, you know, the Warriors. We don't want the Warriors to win or whatever. A lot of LeBron fans don't want the Warriors to win. But interesting that there's a lot of Lakers fans who do not want to see the Phoenix Suns uh, win this thing. And uh, tonight was not a good night in that regard, if you consider yourself among them. Again, I, I don't particularly care one way or another about the Phoenix Suns, but a lot of Lakers fans can't stand them. So understand that. Caitlin B said, can't stand the Suns. Um, somebody said they talk too much. I get that. I get that. Campaign certainly had a lot to say. Jay Crowder had a lot to say. The Suns do talk quite a bit, but in any event, uh, Jeff Gast said, Phil Jackson from Facebook, Phil Jackson needs to become the Lakers head coach. Okay. So let's talk about that. Phil Jackson, um, he's not going to become their head coach. What's his age? Off the top of my head, I don't remember. He's in his 70s at this point. But let me let me look this up. Phil Jackson is not going to become a head coach. The physical toll was starting to get to him. He's 76 at this point. Yeah, Phil Jackson is not going to be the Lakers head coach. That's not happening. Um, the physical toll was starting to get to him towards the end there of his coaching career. And I don't think, I don't think as a Lakers fan, you even want that. I mean, number one, you don't want to see Phil Jackson have to have to deal with all of that stuff. Um, have to deal with the, the physical toll of traveling and everything like that at, at his age. But I think you also don't want Phil Jackson back on the bench right now because I think the game has changed a lot. It's changed a lot since Phil Jackson. And it, I think he's the greatest coach ever. So I'm not trying to disrespect Phil Jackson at all. I'm just saying the game has changed quite a bit. And I don't think you want to put Phil Jackson in that environment. Now, if it's Phil Jackson 15 years ago, yeah, there's probably nobody better that you can think of to manage this team, to coach this team. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, manage personalities, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but hey, let's go. Phil Jackson 15 years ago, for sure. Phil Jackson right now, it's not happening. I do think it's interesting, though, that Phil Jackson is being brought in to be part of this decision-making process with the Lakers coaching decision. Um, I talked about this on the podcast yesterday that this doesn't necessarily mean good things for the Lakers. And I actually had Mark Medina on this afternoon. Uh, Mark Medina and I actually late morning, we talked about this, Mark Medina from NBA.com. We talked about the Phil Jackson situation as well. And he had the same opinion of it that I did. And so I said, okay, there's validation because Mark is, Mark is a great guy and is very sharp about the NBA 
And he, as somebody who covers the whole league, looked at it from the same angle that I looked at it, said, you go to Phil Jackson because, of course, probably the greatest coach ever, if you're making a big coaching hire and you know Phil Jackson, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you, hey, call up Phil Jackson and ask his opinion? However, involving him in the decision-making process, that's a little bit more challenging because the skill set to pick a head coach is a little, no, it's a lot different than the skill set to actually coach a team. And we've seen Phil Jackson struggle with front office type stuff, decision-making. We saw it with the Knicks. Knicks fans, not huge fans of Phil Jackson. So I can't say that this is a good thing for the Lakers that Phil Jackson is getting involved. And you do have to wonder how many voices are being heard at this point. How many people have a voice in this situation? Too many cooks in the kitchen? Maybe we might be entering that territory. Maybe we're already there for the Lakers. So Phil Jackson being involved, on the surface, it's okay. But overall, I don't know if it's a good thing or not. We'll see. We'll see who the Lakers actually wind up getting. There's some rumors flying around, and I haven't confirmed them. There's some rumors flying around that Darvin Ham has the, the clutch sports approval. He's got the, the check mark next to him that he's he's got the approval of Clutch Sports. Again, I haven't confirmed that. So right now just treat this very much as a as a rumor. I have not confirmed this, but but if that's the case, I think Darvin Ham would make a lot of sense. He's right there for me with Quinn Snyder in terms of who I'd like to see. And he's got kind of this this reputation around the NBA as being that guy who should have been a head coach already, who really should have been given an opportunity already. And so that's interesting to me. And I am not scared off by the fact that he hasn't been a head coach yet at the NBA level. I think there's some concern about that. And there, there should be. If you're the Lakers, it's a question you have to ask. You have to think, is this putting too much on a first-time head coach? LeBron, maybe LeBron heading into free agency in 2023. The pressure to get things back and to win right now, is that too much? That's certainly a question that, that should be asked. But... I think Darvin Ham is just an interesting candidate. I think he should get a real look from the Lakers, and we know he's on their list. If Quinn Snyder isn't available, because I think he's probably the top of my list of realistic candidates, I think Darvin Ham is probably my next guy that I would turn to. Now, as far as um, the Adrian Griffin story, so that came out a few hours ago, that Adrian Griffin is a guy the Lakers have asked the Toronto Raptors, because that's where he's an assistant coach, for permission to interview David Griffin, or David Griffin, different person. Adrian Griffin, David Griffin, I don't think would want to join the Lakers. He's too busy trying to figure out what he's going to do with all the Lakers draft picks. But Adrian Griffin, it's kind of funny, right? Because the Raptors, it was just, what, yesterday, day before, Masai Ujiri was asked about the rumors that the Lakers were going to poach Nick Nurse from the Toronto Raptors. And Musai basically said, no, it's crazy. That's, that's not happening. The Lakers can keep dreaming. That's what he said. And not in those exact words. But that was his point. The Lakers can keep dreaming. And so the Lakers went, okay, well, if we can't get Nick Nurse, then let's get one of his assistants. And so now there's this Adrian Griffin rumor. But again, I think that in NBA circles in general, uh, Darvin Ham is held in a little bit higher regard. So if it's between Darvin Ham and Adrian Griffin, I'm... I think I'm leaning Darvin Ham, but of course, how those interviews play out, their their plans for the team, what they would do with the roster, those things all certainly matter. And I also think the Lakers might be kind of waiting around to see who shakes free here as teams get eliminated from the playoffs. Are other moves made? 
I think that's why we see the Lakers taking this kind of slow process. And I know who you're already thinking of, Doc Rivers. If the 76ers go home here in round two, and it's looking fairly likely, particularly if Joel Embiid isn't able to come back, is that, do they go far enough to keep Doc Rivers' job? Or is Mike D'Antoni waiting in the wings, right? Daryl Morey's going to call him up, and he's going to wind up coaching there. And then Doc Rivers is on the market, and the Lakers, would they be interested in him? I kind of wonder if that's what the Lakers are waiting for at this moment, if that's part of the reason why there's such a slow burn here with the Lakers head coaching search. I mean, it feels like the Kings are all but ready to just hand the job to Mark Jackson. That's what we've been hearing, that he's the, the front runner right now for that job. The Lakers, they're not even at a point right now where they are interviewing anybody. They're requesting interviews. They're just kind of getting there, but they're kind of taking their time, just dipping their toe in the water of the coaching situation. And I do wonder if they are waiting to see if anybody else does pop free and wind up on the market. I think they also need to wait to see what Quinn, uh, Quinn Snyder decides. Does he ultimately decide to leave the Utah Jazz or not? I mean, Quinn Snyder has a head, a head coaching job next year. No matter what, he's got a head coach. If he wants it, he's got a head coaching job next year. Utah has said we want to keep him. Okay. He may just say, you know what? I don't want to leave. I'm going to stay here. All right. If not, I think the Lakers would have very strong interest in him. And if he decides he's going to leave, he might just walk into the Lakers job. That's that's certainly possible. Or the Spurs job. Maybe that happens. So I think Quinn Snyder is coaching in the NBA next season. The question for him really just comes down to where do you want to coach? And the Lakers also might be waiting to see what his decision is, because that might be a big factor here in what the Lakers ultimately do. All right, let's get into some more of your questions and comments here. Uh, Mark Duncan from YouTube said, I like Scott Brooks. He has coached a team with three stars, plus he was the last coach to win with Russ, not to mention that Brooks is an assistant for the Blazers. Okay. Does Scott Brooks... If you're the Lakers and you are pretty dead set on not keeping Russell Westbrook, and Mark Medina and I talked about this today, Mark is of the belief that 100% you cannot bring Russell Westbrook back. Can't do it. If Russ is gone, doesn't that take away some of the incentive to hire Scott Brooks? Now, maybe maybe on his own merit, aside from his relationship with Russell Westbrook, he has his value as a coach. And I think that's certainly true. But if it's me and, and Russell Westbrook is gone, Scott Brooks isn't quite as an, uh, attractive of an option. He's still an option, but I would slot him behind Quinn Snyder, Darvin Ham, you know, people like that. So Scott Brooks, he's a name on the list, but he wouldn't be the top of my list. Now, you could have said, if you told me last summer, we got Russell Westbrook, should we pay what it takes to get Scott Brooks? Should we give him the role that we need to in order to get Scott Brooks. Maybe. Maybe they should have. Because I think that would have helped in terms of Russell Westbrook's transition to being a Los Angeles Laker. But now I feel like that ship has kind of sailed. Now that, that Russ, it feels like he's going to be on his way out the door one way or another, whether it's via buyout or via trade. I think trade being more likely. I don't know if you have as much incentive to go with Scott Brooks. And I think that's just that's just the truth. All right, let's see what else we've got here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, man. Jason Kidd. Yeah, that would have been nice, but... But Jason Kidd didn't work out there. Uh, Steve Wise said Snyder already said he had zero interest in the Lakers job. I didn't see anywhere where he said that. Uh, There were reports that his interest may have diminished based on how they handled the Frank Vogel firing. But that doesn't doesn't tell us that he's not interested in the job anymore. Might just mean he didn't like the way that was handled. And so he's less interested, but doesn't mean not interested. We'll see. (laughs) <laughs> Shaq for coach. That would require $25 million per season, according to Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, TJ said, any way we can make a deal for Miles Turner? Yeah, so there there are ways, but from what we've heard, the Pacers, after they traded Domitas Sabonis, they decided that they were going to keep Miles Turner because that was the whole thing. They decided Turner, Sabonis together, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need to split them up. And we went into the trade deadline thinking it was going to be Turner who was moved. Turner got hurt, ends up being Sabonis. Uh, he goes to the Sacramento Kings. The Pacers now are operating as though they're going to keep Miles Turner. And it sounds like that's probably what's going to happen. So I don't think he's on the market. Um, could you get him? I'm sure if you paid enough to get him in terms of value going in, sure. But what are you willing to give up to get Miles Turner? And is that enough to get the Pacers to listen? I think most people probably go to THT, Kendrick Dunn, and a pick. But again, I I don't know if that's enough to meet the Pacers' asking price. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of Lakers fans, trying to add in Miles Turner to a Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Heald swap with Russell Westbrook. Because why not? I mean, toss in THT, toss in Turner, off you go. But again, I think the, the Pacers would want a lot, would want a lot in order to do something like that. So I don't think it's very likely. I don't think it's likely that Turner gets moved, period, this summer. If Sabonis was still on the team, I would say, yeah, yeah, Miles Turner's available. But now that they already made that move, I think the Pacers are going to stick with Miles Turner and uh, and keep him. Uh, somebody said, why do you want Quinn Snyder? Isn't he just like Vogel 2.0? No. How would he be like Vogel 2.0? Vogel is known as a defense first guy. Snyder's an offense guy. And he features a lot of ball movement on the offensive end. I'm not saying he's the best coach ever or anything like that, but there are things about his offensive system that interest me, particularly as somebody who's been very frustrated with the Lakers' offensive system and the stagnation that we've seen from it. Might it be overcorrecting and going towards a mostly offensive coach? Maybe. Maybe. Again, I'm not saying he's the perfect guy, but I've yet to see a guy pop up on the market where I went, yes, 
That's the guy you must get that coach. I haven't seen that guy pop up on the market up to this point. So I think there's going to be flaws with whatever coach you wind up with. The question is, what coach fits the team the best? That's the NBA for you, right? College, you're looking at which player fits the coach's schemes the best. We talk about college sports. The NFL, that's a thing too. Which player fits this coach's schemes the best, the way they like to play? NBA, it's which coach fits the personnel the best. And with that being the case, I think that's going to be a big factor here for the Lakers. Who is it that really fits this team? Who is it that can get the most out of what they've got? I think Frank Vogel didn't do that. Frank Vogel didn't take what he's got here and make it better and improve upon it. We didn't see that from him this season. That was one of the flaws of Frank Vogel's season. Again, I don't think he was the worst coach ever. thought he made mistakes. He was also given a pretty tough position to be in, in terms of being a defense-first head coach, given a team full of guys who don't really defend. That's a challenge. That's a big, big challenge for Frank Vogel. And now, obviously, he will be somewhere else next season. Maybe not even coaching next season. We'll see what he decides to do. But Quinn Snyder, calling him Frank Vogel 2.0, they're very different, very different as head coaches. They are. It's, it's night and day. Very different. All right, let's see what else we've got going on here. Oh, we need to talk about this. I've talked about it on the, the podcast yesterday, but I've still got people asking me about Zach Levine. So the way this happened, Zach Levine has a quote from a couple, like literally two years ago, has a quote where he talks about wanting to play with LeBron. And that started to get recirculated. And I've seen, I saw it on a few different graphics. The one, the main one that's been going around does mention that it's from two years ago, but also adds in that like ESPN said the Lakers might try to sign and trade for, for Zach Levine. It's not going to happen. It's just, it's not. Um, you never say never in the NBA. Crazy things happen. Okay, I get that. But this is very, very unlikely. Very unlikely that the Lakers could somehow wind up with Zach Levine. It just doesn't make any sense. The Lakers, if you sign and trade for a player, and this is part of the reason why they didn't go get DeMar DeRozan. If you sign and trade for a player, you bring in a player via sign and trade, you trigger the hard cap. And the hard cap makes it really tough to build out a roster when you've already got so many salaries on the books because now you have a ceiling that you just can't go past no matter what. If you don't have a hard cap, you can just keep stacking veteran minimum contracts as long as you're willing to keep paying for them. Stack those up as long as you want. Build out your roster that way. That was the approach the Lakers took. It also, in theory, means the Lakers could have paid Alex Caruso whatever they wanted, but that's a story. That's another, another topic. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole again, but the Lakers chose not to pay him. Okay. It wasn't because of a hard cap, though. A hard cap, if you trigger that by doing some sort of trade, and I'm not saying there's one that exists that the Bulls would accept, but if you try to package up Russell Westbrook and you get a max salary because you're assuming he would take a max deal to get him, Zach Levine, you're going to trigger that hard cap and you're still going to be in the same spot financially where you're not going to be able to build a roster around LeBron, AD, and Zach Levine. You're going to hit that ceiling and you won't be able to fill out your roster. So you can't do that. The only way that I see this maybe being possible, and most of you will probably say immediately no, when I say this scenario, in order to free up the cap room, you wave and stretch Russell Westbrook. That means three years of Russell Westbrook, 15-ish, somewhere between 13 to 16-ish million dollars sitting on your books for the next three years, dead money. 
in order to free up enough cap room, cap room so you can do a sign and trade for Zach Levine, trigger the hard cap, and off you go. But you're below it enough to where you can still build out a roster. Okay, so that's step one. You're eating that money from Russell Westbrook. Or you package up enough stuff to try to get a team just to take Russ and give you a bunch of cap room. What are you going to have to package up? Probably your two firsts. Okay, so what are you trading now for Zach Levine? It's not like you've got a bunch of other stuff you can go trade for him. You would pretty much have to do something with Russ. Either wave and stretch him, buy him out, and or trade him and get somebody to take him into their cap space and attach first in order to do that. And then we're probably talking Anthony Davis in a Zach Levine trade. And that's where I know most Lakers fans would say, what? Why We're not doing that. I agree. I wouldn't do that either. I wouldn't do that either. That's why I don't think this is realistic. The Lakers don't really have a path to get to Zach Levine, regardless of what he said two years ago. Regardless of the fact that he's going to be a free agent this offseason, the Lakers just don't really have a financial path to get there. Now, again, in the NBA, crazy things happen. But this is a 99.5% sure it's not going to happen. They're not going to figure out some way to go get Zach Levine. I'm sorry. I, I wish I could say this is a real thing and this could happen and there's a path to getting there. It's a lot more fun when we get to go down that rabbit hole and talk about ways the Lakers could make it happen. But unfortunately, logistically, I just have got to be honest here. I don't see a way that it will work for the Lakers and make sense for the Lakers and make them a better team. Sorry, I know, I know. I'm crushing hopes and dreams here. I know. Somebody said... <laughs> uh, somebody somebody said, sign him for the mid-level exception. Yeah, he's not going to take that. He's not taking the mid-level exception. What about the Thunder trade to free up cap space from Skull and Favors? Yeah, but that's where you're going to have to attach stuff to Russell Westbrook. Future first. So then what do you trade to get Zach Levine? You don't have anything else to go get him with. Again, that's the problem. That's the problem. And some people are saying, I'm seeing in the chat, some people are saying, I would do that. I would trade Anthony Davis. Okay, that's fine. I think the majority is, if you asked enough people around the NBA, they would say no. They wouldn't make that trade. But I understand Lakers fans particularly are frustrated with Anthony Davis. An injury-plagued season had his ups and downs even when he was on the floor and healthy. So I understand why people would be a little bit hesitant to do something like that or to not pull the trigger on a deal getting them Zach Levine. But I just don't think it's realistic. Now, if it's if AD goes to the Lakers and says, please trade me and I want to go back to my hometown of Chicago, okay, well, now the variables have changed. Now we can talk and it, maybe there's something to be worked on there. So that's why I don't want to shut the door on it completely. But... It's very, very unlikely. Look, if you're going into this offseason hoping, hoping for a Zach Levine to the Lakers trade, bring back the UCLA guy, you're probably going to be disappointed. And that, that's just logistics, trying to figure out a way to make, it, make a move work. Uncle Diggity said the stars aren't lined up properly for Zach Levine just yet. Yep, that's a good way of putting it. It's a good way of putting it. Look, if Zach Levine says, I don't care about money, I'll take the mid-level exception. I'll take the taxpayer mid-level exception. Hey, <laughs> great. Come on down. But I don't I don't see that happening. That's about as likely as Russell Westbrook saying, no, thank you. I don't want to be paid $47 million next year. I'll hit free agency instead and go pick where I want to play. That's also not very likely to happen. But again, the Lakers would love it if it did. 
They would love it. Let's see what else we've got going on here. Richie says, we have to make it work with Russ for crying out loud. It's three superstars, regardless of fit. There is a way. And as a head coach, you have to figure out a way to make it work. We've been saying for a while, even when the Russ trade first happened, we said that there probably wasn't a path to making it work on paper. Russell Westbrook, LeBron James together on paper doesn't make sense. The hope was that talent would win out over fit. That's what the Lakers were gambling on. The talent would win out over fit. We didn't see it happen. And LeBron, Russ, Anthony Davis, they all said, look, we only played 21 games together. We didn't have enough time to succeed. Dwight Howard talked about this as well. I think we saw enough. I think we saw enough. We saw enough of LeBron and Russ, at least, to know that what looks like a tough fit on paper really is a difficult fit on the floor. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you have something where you think, this isn't really going to work, and then it did. The Cavs, the Cavs running Lowry Markkinen at the three, going big in an era when most teams are going small. People said, well, that'll never work. It did. It worked out pretty well. Worked out pretty well for them. They found a way. Sometimes stuff that doesn't look like it would work on paper, you get out on the floor, it does. You figure out a way. This didn't look like it would work on paper. Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. And you got them out there on the floor and it didn't. It didn't. And at the heart of it is this, this concept. Look, if you take the ball out of the hands of LeBron James, that's a losing proposition. Even if you're giving it to Russell Westbrook. And Russ didn't have a great season. But if you give it to Russell Westbrook, that's a downgrade. You'd rather have the ball in the hands of LeBron James. Okay, great. So if the ball's in the hands of LeBron James, then what is Russell Westbrook doing? What does he bring to your team? His number one skill is he can have the ball in his hands and do things out of pick and roll and things of that nature. Him with the ball in, the, in his hands. That's the best thing he does. And he's on the floor with LeBron, who's better at the best thing Russell Westbrook does. And there's only one basketball. That's the heart of the problem. And there's a lot of other things that you can add in. We can talk about the defense. You can talk about the mentality, the mindset, whether he's willing to sacrifice, all, all that stuff, right? It all comes into this discussion. But ultimately, on paper, Russell Westbrook didn't wasn't a fit. And on the floor, he wasn't either. I don't think you can bring him back. And I'm not even talking about the fact that they probably need to clear the air. This was the worst Lakers season relative to expectations ever. And you need to start fresh next year. You just do. This season stunk. Open the windows. Let, let, let it clear out. And that probably means you got to move on from Russell Westbrook. Uh, Jesse Nguyen, who should the MLE go to? Most realistic Russ package. Uh, the mid-level exception, they, they'll have a taxpayer mid-level most likely, and that's going to be about $6 million bucks. Who that should go to? I mean, Malik Monk has got to be up there, right? But there's some other guys that we've talked about. Otto Porter Jr. is interesting. I don't know how much you'd have to pay him. Uh, Gary Payton the second man. It's terrible, terrible seeing what happened to him with the, the fractured elbow. What's his recovery process like? He was certainly on my radar. He's another guy. I did a whole video on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel here um, that you can check out on some, some free agent targets for the Lakers that are interesting. And I think there's some some out there. DeLon Wright is another guy that's kind of caught my eye. 
But ultimately, I'd like to find a wing if I'm the Lakers. And I, if I can't bring back Malik Monk, I'd like to find a wing player. I think that would make a lot of sense if you can find a wing with some size and specifically find somebody who can shoot. I've talked about this a lot recently, but I think that the way the Lakers need to proceed is yes, you need shooting, but you need defense too. And so that means that if you could find a guy who shoots league average from three, but plays solid on the defensive end, you go with that guy over a guy who shoots 42% from three and doesn't play good defense. I think you have to have two-way players. You need guys. You don't need a guy who's just a complete sniper. Can it be? Can, is that a skill set that sometimes can help? Absolutely. But if you're the Lakers, you need guys who play on both sides of the ball. Period. And on the offensive end, you just need the guy to be a threat. That's it. That's it. All you need is a guy who defenses care about if the ball gets swung to them and they're open behind the arc. Does the defense get stretched and try to close out to that player? If it's Russell Westbrook, the answer is no. They don't try to close out to that player and the spacing stays clogged up and you don't get the benefit from that player being out there. If you have somebody who shoots at least league average, you get that benefit. And if they can play on the defensive end of the floor, great. Then you can get the stops that you need. There are some guys who shoot extremely well and teams will extra scramble, right? To get out to them. But all you need is somebody who can keep defenses honest. That's it. So again, if you can find a guy who shoots 35 or 36% from three, but plays great defense, the Lakers need to target that guy far before you go and get the guy that shoots 42% and plays no defense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jesse Nguyen, would you bring in a wing over Monk? It depends on the wing. Depends on who that wing is. Depends on who it is. I think Malik Monk is very good. Very talented. But the Lakers found something with him. I don't want to see him go. I don't want to see him go. And I think ultimately that sixth man position for him, it's fantastic. He could be he could be the, the NBA sixth man of the year. That's, that's in his wheelhouse. Would not shock me if he wins that award. We saw it this season. I think he can be very, very good. For the Lakers... Getting a wing is probably more important. But is that wing out there? And is that wing out there for your price range? That answer might be no. And if that's the case, sure, Malik Monk, if you can get him back. And I think Malik Monk, the Lakers might be priced out on. That's probably a thing. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Malik Monk. Do they bring him back or do they prioritize the wing? I think they need the wing more, but you'd hate to see Malik Monk walk away. After this has been, this was an awful season. Awful, awful, awful. Again, I said it earlier. This was the worst season relative to expectations we've ever seen. And even, I mean, beyond that, just emotionally watching those games. Oh my gosh. How many times did we see the Lakers? They tease you just a little bit, just enough. Maybe they're going to win this game. Okay. They kept it close. We're in the third quarter. Oh no. Soon as we got our hopes up, 10 nothing run for the opponent, and the Lakers never get back in the thing. They come a little bit closer. Oh, no, no, wait, wait. Another 10 nothing run. 
the fake comeback. How many times did we see that? Emotionally, that's draining. <laughs> Watching your team night in and night out look like they're going to make a comeback and then sputter out right before they get over the hump and then lose the game anyway. It was brutal. Malik Monk was a bright spot in a very difficult season. And so it doesn't feel good to see him walk away. One of the few things that you could look at and feel okay about for the Lakers, that could be walking out the door. That doesn't feel good. But it might just be reality for this team because he's going to get paid. He might get paid more than what the Lakers can even get to if he gets the full mid-level exception and the Lakers only have the taxpayer mid-level. That's possible. That could be an outcome this summer. It's also possible the Lakers might find some help on the wing that they might need more. So I understand why people don't want to see Malik Monk walk away, but just be prepared. It may wind up happening. So be ready for that. Andre with a super chat. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Said, Trevor, is it possible for Westbrook to improve his shot if he implied Mamba mentality and trained every day in the offseason with a shooting coach? Can he still improve his shot? Maybe a little bit, but Russ is 33 years old. He is what he is at this point. He is what he is. This is, this is what he is. Um, he's never been a good shooter. I wouldn't expect him to become a good shooter now. There are some examples. Jason Kidd was a terrible shooter when he started his career. As his athleticism waned and he had to rely more and more on his shooting, that eventually evolved into his entire offensive game. By the end of his career, all he did was shoot threes on offense. He, he almost took zero twos, pretty much only shot threes. And very rarely. But I don't see Russ going down that path. At least not yet. So I think Russ could improve a little bit. But I think for the most part, Russ simply is what, what he is. I wouldn't expect Russ to come back next season and shoot 37% from three. We've seen too many seasons in a row where he's not been a good shooter. So again, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of reason to believe he's suddenly going to get better there. But appreciate the super chat. I've got people saying Russ should not be on the roster next season. Look, I, I agree. I think that it's time. I think it's time to move on from Russell Westbrook. I think that's where we're at. Okay, everybody. Uh, oh, we've got a super chat here. It said, Ballin on the court. Can you discuss the four-team trade I put in the chat? Uh, what's the four-team trade? You'll have to hit me back with that one. I didn't see it. So send it back in another message and uh, and I'll get into it. But in the meantime... Ball in, the, ball in on the court while you're doing that, while you're typing out that trade or, or putting it back in the chat. Uh, I do have to give our, our shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. So I'm going to take a short break. We'll be back in three minutes. Ball in on the court. Let us know what that four-team trade is, and I'll break it down right after this break. Lakers Nation, I want to pause for a moment and talk a little bit about Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because for me personally, I was interested in recovery. Number one, I've been trying to get back into shape and spending a lot of time in the gym, lifting weights, doing all those sorts of things. And I wanted to see if it could help with my recovery process and what that looks like. We all know how important recovery is in any type of athletic endeavor. And then also the mental clarity part of it. I'm the type of person where I've noticed, you know, middle of the day, I start to just hit this lull, this wall that I, I run into and I've just found I'm just not as productive as I should be. 
And I'll admit, I was pretty skeptical when I went into this, uh, when I started taking AG1, but I've been very, very pleasantly surprised. Not only has my recovery improved, and I've been taking AG1 for about three weeks now, I've been making noticeable improvements in the gym, but the mental clarity piece to this, the energy piece to this, it has been noticeable. In the afternoons, I simply have more focus, more energy. I just noticed suddenly I'm getting way more done during the day. I'm accomplishing more tasks on my to-do list rather than pushing things off to the next day. And that means for all of you, that means more Lakers Nation content, more NBA front office content, everything else that we bring. It's been absolutely fantastic. I can't believe how productive I've been while taking AG1. So what is AG1? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And that is exactly how I take it. It's the first thing I take in the morning. Instead of getting coffee or an energy drink or something like that, I drink my AG1. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, aging, all of the things all in one. And it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself that you would have to go out and find. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens, it was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him over $100 per day. He created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. And for me, I'm super busy. The sports world, it moves at a lightning fast pace. So Athletic Greens, very quick, very simple for me to get my nutrition in one place. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LakersNation. Again, it's athleticgreens.com slash LakersNation to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, and we are back. I didn't see that four-team trade come through, but I did see a super chat that came in uh, from Mook Morris. Thank you very much. Said, would you choose between Phil Handy or Darvin Ham? Is it possible we keep Monk after trading Westbrook and sign Otto Porter too? So let's address the first part. Phil Handy or Darvin Ham? I'm going to go with Darvin Ham. Uh, I think Phil Handy, if he wanted to stay on as an assistant, absolutely. But Darvin Ham has been pegged as a, as a head coach in the making for a long, long time. Phil Handy's an interesting option. I think he should get an interview. I think the Lakers, I was on board with the Lakers letting go of Frank Vogel early. And by early, I mean, you know, with a month or two left in the season and finding out once, once it was clear that the season wasn't going anywhere, find out what you've got in Phil Handy, find out whether or not he can be a head coach moving forward. Uh, and they, they didn't do that. And there's some reasons why, and I'm not saying it that they're, it was inexcusable or something like that. I think there's pros and cons to both uh, options, but Darvin Ham, I think, is on a, a different level in terms of the how he's seen around the NBA as a future head coach. I'm curious about what Phil Handy can do, but 
I think Darvin Ham is, is just a different option that, um, you know, I would hate to lose Phil Handy. I would love him to, for him to stay on, but I think you you ride with Darvin Ham in that situation. Uh, is it possible to keep Monk after trading Westbrook and sign Otto Porter? So if you were to trade Russ and you were able to clear salary in a Russ trade, let's say you do the OKC trade, and then you can get to the point where you can use the full taxpayer min level, and that's about $10 million, that would also, it like you were below, you cut salary enough to where you would feel comfortable that you weren't going to hit the hard cap. Okay. That would then allow you to use that full taxpayer mid level, which is about 10 ish million dollars. And then you would also have the biannual exception, which would be 3 million and change. So that might be your path right there. You could, on one hand, maybe split the mid level. Maybe you can get Monk for six and change, and then you get. Otto Porter Jr. for the remainder, whatever's left, four, something like that. Or you have to give Monk the entire 10, and then you can use your biannual on Otto Porter. Maybe. I'll say it's not likely. I think both guys are probably going to get a little bit too much, even if you clear that salary enough to where you can actually use that full mid-level exception. But it's not completely unheard of, or it's not completely out of out of the question for something like that to happen. McNasty from YouTube said, would you do the Rockets deal if they included Christian Wood? I would definitely be interested in the Rockets deal if Christian Wood was involved. So let's say hypothetically it's John Wall for Russell Westbrook, uh, but you're adding in Christian Wood to the Rockets side, a first and THT from the Lakers side. I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting. I think it's something that you have to explore. I've long thought Christian Wood would be a really interesting pairing with Anthony Davis in terms of skill set, how those two would fit together. That's something that's intrigued me. So it's something, I don't know if I do it because I'm very reluctant to trade those future firsts, but I'm certainly more interested in doing that than John Wall for Russ and a first. That is a non-starter for me. There's no way I'm touching that deal. But Russ, eh, you add in Christian Wood, okay. And then I think maybe we're talking. Uh, Vector Nova, after this season... I have to say, I hate mercenary teams. This is a $10 super chat. Thank you so much. All the best teams in the NBA right now are built with homegrown talent. It's hard to root for players that I have no investment in. I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point because here's the thing. We get attached to these players. From the fan perspective, we get attached to these players. And maybe we were spoiled a little bit by Kobe. Two decades. Two decades in purple and gold. Kobe, man, Kobe was our guy. Right, We watched Kobe from being a kid to growing up, becoming an all-star, right, taking over games, becoming a husband, becoming a father, becoming eventually the elder statesman on the team. All of these things. We, we got to have seats for all of that, witness all of that. And when you have guys, and by the way, the NBA, the way contracts are right now, there's a lot of player movement. There's a lot of players moving in and out, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. There's pros and cons to it. One of the cons is, do you really get that attachment towards a player? And if you do, how long is it before that player moves on somewhere else? Either they're traded or they leave in free agency. So that's difficult. And then when you've got, then when you've got a Lakers team that already isn't playing well, that fans are frustrated with, the fans are having a hard time sitting through their games. And you've got a bunch of guys that feel more like mercenaries, that feel more like they're, they're just hired guns. They're not really your guy. 
I understand where that, that can lead to some longing for, man, remember when they had Brandon Ingram, remember when it was Lonzo Ball, it was all these young kids and we were watching these kids develop and all that. Look, those times were rough too. Those times were rough. But at least there was a sense of, okay, this is our guy. This is going to be a Laker for the future. We're going to watch this guy develop. We're going to see what he can become. All of that. It creates a little bit more buy-in, a little bit more investment into that player and into your own emotional connection with the team. So I understand what you're saying. And I think that ideally, the repulsiveness of a mercenary team to some to a team full of guys that just kind of jump on board in order, order to have a chance to win a championship. Maybe you don't feel as deep of a connection to them from the fan perspective. I also think there's an argument that from a basketball perspective, it's not as winning of a strategy anymore. We've talked about this. I think we might be seeing a change in the era of the NBA. I think the big three era is coming to a close. I mean, look around the NBA. There's a lot of teams that are getting it done with two guys and the rest are players who all fit very, very well. Just guys who fit great with their team. Role players that are high-level guys, and there's continuity, and there's chemistry that is developed from working together for multiple seasons. That's part of what you're seeing with the Phoenix Suns, right? And we can talk about DeAndre Ayton, and he's obviously come into his own. But initially, it was Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Those are your two guys, and then we're going to make sure we get guys, uh, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Aiden, obviously, it was a high pick, but we're going to get these guys that fit around them. Look at the Celtics. Similar idea, right? Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. All right, Marcus Smart. We're going to get a guy that fits great there, Robert, Robert Williams. We have to pay to keep him, but he's a great fit, so we're going to do that. You find guys that fit. Al Horford, that seems to be the model of the future for the NBA. And so I think when we talk about this mercenary idea and how, from the fan perspective, you don't have as much of a connection with them, I think on the floor, we're learning, and the Lakers of this past season might be evidence of this, that chemistry, that connection, that having depth, having role players that truly fit and understand their role and what they have to do in order to win, that's more valuable in a lot of cases than having a third star. The Lakers won a championship with two stars and role players who all fit and all guys who instantly, from day one, understood their role and knew what they needed to do to win and were willing to sacrifice and do whatever it took. They didn't have that last season. This season, I should say. They didn't have it. Didn't have that mix. And you had three stars. Three stars. So I think, Vector Nova, that you're, you're probably right. You're probably right. And not even just from a fan perspective. I think on the court, this idea that a mercenary team can get it done that's not really the way the wind is blowing anymore. Look what happened to the Nets. Look what happened to the Lakers. I think the wave of the future, it's continuity, it's chemistry, which it's difficult in today's NBA to have that, but it's continuity, it's chemistry, it's depth. It's the pieces that fit the right way. It's paying role players to keep them to a certain degree and building around two, maybe even one really, really good players. You got to have them. You got to have those stars. You still have to have them. But three stars, I don't think that's the path to success anymore in today's NBA. Andrew P. with the Super Chat said, Man up, LA. Trade LeBron. Get a ton in return. Are you going to get a ton in return for LeBron? 
How much are you going to get? How much is he going to influence his landing spot if you decide to trade him? He's only got a year left under contract. But I understand. I don't think the Lakers will trade him. I don't think they will. I don't think the Lakers will trade LeBron. But I think it's interesting that the Lakers could wind up going down that path. If LeBron goes to the Lakers and says, hey, and I don't expect this to happen again. I don't think at all this is what's going to happen. But if LeBron went to the Lakers and said, hey, this isn't working. I want to go somewhere else. I think they would work with him. And you could argue maybe the Lakers long-term would be better off. But I still think, man, LeBron was amazing this season. If he had stayed healthy, which I know it's a big hit, and if the Lakers were better, the Lakers were the three seed. This was an MVP campaign for LeBron at 37. That's how good he was. Winning a championship next season when you've got a guy that's that good, as bad as this season was, that outcome is not impossible. And when you have a shot, you got to go for it. So I, that's what I'm expecting to happen this summer. I expect to see the Lakers. I expect to see LeBron stick around. I expect the Lakers to try to make some moves to win right now. And they go for it this season. And then we'll see what happens. Let the chips fall where they may. Maybe LeBron signs an extension in August. Maybe he doesn't. But I think trading LeBron, I don't think it's something that's going to happen this year. Unless LeBron asks for it. Okay, balling on the court with a super chat. Thank you. Has his four-team trade. Here it is. Let's go through this. Russ for Hayward, Ubre, and Plumley. Okay, so we're doing the Hornets deal. Russell Westbrook to the Hornets. You're getting back Gordon Hayward, Kelly Ubre Jr. You're also taking back Mason Plumley. All right. Next step. AD, ooh, spicy. AD and THT to the Pacers for Halliburton, Turner, Heald, and two firsts. I don't know if the Pacers do that. If you're the Pacers, you're kind of in a rebuild, quasi-rebuild mode. You just traded for Halliburton. You love that you got him. Anthony Davis is clearly the most talented player in that deal. But that is a lot. That is a lot for the Pacers. And I don't know if the Pacers are at a point. Like, if the Pacers get AD, are they ready to go win right now with what's left on their roster? Probably not. So then what's the point? What are they doing getting Anthony Davis if they're not ready to put him on a team that's going to win? So that's that. I could see that as being a holdup. But in theory, look, if the Lakers could get that, there, there's some good players in that trade, a couple of first-round picks. Okay, if you decided we're going nuclear and blowing this thing up, all right. Then trade Heald and the two first-round picks. So we're doing, uh, this is a massive trade. for To Detroit for Jeremy Grant. Trade machine success. Okay. So you're going to reroute Buddy Heald, a couple of first-round picks, to Detroit for Jeremy Grant. Is that enough? We know they were looking for multiple firsts. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. So then, just to put all the pieces together, you'd be looking at a team that would be, what would be left? LeBron, Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre, Plumlee, Jeremy Grant, Halliburton, Turner, Heald, Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, Wendy Gabriel, Kendrick Nunn. That's what your team is left with. And I would guess your starting five would be Turner, LeBron, Halliburton, Grant. And then who's your two? Heels on the way out. I mean, maybe Uber is your two. Or maybe it's Austin Reeves. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to say that's a terrible team to put together. I think those are some big moves. And 
when you get moves that are that big with that many players involved, it becomes a lot less likely that it happens. Again, I look at the Indiana side and I think Anthony Davis, clearly the best player. How likely is it that they find a star? Otherwise not varies. They're not, they're not a major free agent destination, but are they ready for a trade for an Anthony Davis level player? Probably not. Probably not. So that's, that's where I could see a hold up there. Uh, Detroit, they're going to have a lot of suitors for Jeremy Grant. Are those two first round picks enough? Are they, it depends on where those picks are, where they're projected to be. Are they a 2027 and 2029 first? Teams aren't going to value those quite as much. Are they more recent first coming up soon? That matters too. But I mean, it's an interesting idea. Interesting idea. I just think there's a lot of moving pieces there. And when you start adding in all those pieces, you just make it that much less likely to actually happen. But not terrible. Uh, Luke Huskies said facts with a super chat. Thank you. Brandon Lynn said, if you were the GM, what trade and moves would you make this offseason? By the way, looking good, Trev. Oh, thank you. I did. I got a haircut. <laughs> I did do that. I'm actually, I'm not going to reveal who it is just yet, but I have something in the works to interview a draft prospect next week. And so, and I don't want to confirm and say it's 100%, but fingers crossed, hopefully it does wind up happening. Um, and so with that potentially going down, I, I would travel for it. Uh, I wanted to make sure I was okay. I need to make sure I get finally get in and get a haircut and all that kind of stuff before we're going to go and do some in-person interviews. So that could be coming. Just something, just something to keep in mind could be coming little, little hint for next week. But if I was the GM, what trade and moves would you make? All right. So I've talked about this a little bit that if I was Rob Palenka, I would be focused on surrounding LeBron James with two very specific traits in a player. Floor spacing on the offensive end, defense on the other end. That's it. Just give me guys who are good defenders and can give you some floor spacing and shooters. Much easier said than done. Much easier said than done. A lot of teams are looking for guys who can do that. And ideally, you're going to try to find wings who can do those things. Go back to what has historically worked, and that is surrounding LeBron James with guys who can do those two things. Right? Give me a 3 and D point guard. Give me a Derek Fisher-style point guard. Maybe that's Austin Reeves. Maybe he takes on that role. Did a video about that the other day and why he might fit that particular skill set. You're going to find guys who can do more than just shoot and defend, of course, right? And that's, but that's the icing on the cake. Guys who can play two-way basketball. That's what I'm trying to surround LeBron and AD with if I'm the GM. Now, I'm moving Russell Westbrook. I'm trying to find the best deal there that also ideally returns players who can defend and give me that kind of floor spacing. I want guys who are not going to be bothered if one night they're asked to come off the bench and the next night they're a starter. If one night they're asked to initiate the offense and the next they're not. I need guys who don't believe that the ball should be in their hands at all times. I think that's been a problem with the last couple of Lakers teams. Dennis Schroeder had this issue. Russell Westbrook had this issue of thinking the ball needed to be in their hands. The ball needs to be in the hands of LeBron James, period. And so that's the way I'm building out this Lakers team. Yes, you need other guys who can handle the basketball. Yes, you need other initiators. But those have to be guys where if they don't get the ball, they're not going to go sulk. They're not going to be upset. They're not going to be angry. You need the Alex Caruso mentality. And I'm sorry to invoke his name here, but you need that mentality of I'm going to do whatever it takes to help this team win. That's what I'm trying to create from a culture standpoint. Now, if I have to do that via trade, that's fine. I will be looking at trades with THT and Kendrick Nunn and those future first round picks, but while also understanding that the value of THT probably goes up. You're probably looking at the a low point 
in THT's value right now. And so that's something that's got to be a factor when you're trying to make these decisions as a general manager. Again, I'm finding the best Westbrook deal I can, and then all the other dominoes fall into place from there. I'm looking for that specific skill set, and if I'm Rob Palenka, I'm relying heavily on my scouting department in terms of finding undrafted free agents, free agents those diamonds in the rough. And I'm also looking for opportunities to buy second-round picks and replenish young talent that way. That would be my plan. Specific guys that I would be targeting, there's a lot of guys out there. Damian Jones has, has been on my list for a while as somebody that I would like to see brought back in. We can talk about Gary Payton. We can talk about Otto Porter Jr. Players like that are, are certainly interesting. I'm definitely bringing back Wenyan Gabriel, Stanley Johnson. Uh, you're bringing back those guys. No question. You're bringing back the, the young Lakers, Austin Reeves, of course. Bring back those guys, and then off you go. That's what I'm doing. If I'm if I'm the Lakers general manager, if I can find wing players, great. All the better. Let's see what else we've got here. Jaden with a super chat said, I think none is being undervalued. He could be the combo scoring guard next to LeBron while Braun is the playmaker. Yeah, absolutely. He sure could, but he's got to prove he can be healthy. We didn't see him play a single regular season game this year. He has to prove he can be healthy first. I can't, if I'm the general manager, I can't build a team as though he's going to be there. I have to build a team as though he's not going to be there. And then if he is, that's the bonus. That's just reality when you've missed an entire season. If you're the general manager, you have to build the team as though he will not be there. And then just treat it as a bonus if he's there. But I think you're right. Look, if he's healthy, he can do that. If none is healthy, he can mitigate potentially the loss of Malik Monk if that's what ends up happening. They're not the same player, but he can kind of fill that role. So I agree with you. None's probably being undervalued if he's healthy. And that's why, because we don't know if he's going to be healthy or not. We don't know. All right, let's see what else we've got going on here. I did have a super chat that I saved. Let me see if I can grab that because it was starting to fly past me. Uh, Mook Morris, on the bright side, if Darvin Ham turns out to be the right coach for the team, if we win another championship or not, he could be the coach of the future. That's true. That's true. If you could, if you could get a coach that can not only help you right now, but also can help you in the future, that's great. That's great. Right? Like, Every organization would love to be in a spot where they can bring in a head coach and just have that guy be there for the next decade. That'd be amazing. Teams would love that, to not have to worry about changing out a head coach. It's rare, but if you find the right guy, maybe that could happen. Let's see what else we've got here. Jorge Sandoval. I'm sure you'd have answered this, but what do you think about Coach Handy being interviewed for head coach? He wouldn't be at the top of my list, but I would definitely interview him. He 100%. He should get an interview. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get an interview. Who knows? I, I think I'm very much of the mindset of if you're the Lakers, you leave no stone unturned. You talk to everybody. Why not? You have to get this right. You have to get this right. And if you don't do your due diligence, you're, there's a decent chance you're not going to. So you 100%, you interview Phil Handy, you find out what he'd be interested in, you find out how he would run the team, and you go from there. 
Find out everything you can. Jesse Nguyen, thoughts on Russ and a pick for Porzingis and KCP? Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested. And Porzingis is another guy where I don't know if he's a great fit. Does he stay, stay healthy? But if you can get KCP back, sure. And at least Porzingis, you're, you're trying. You're trying something. I don't know if he's a great fit. But you probably need to move on from Russ. Dark Wolf, no matter what kind of trades we do, our team and season depends on AD. If he's not having an MVP caliber season, forget about a championship. Yeah, I mean, look, if you are looking at Anthony Davis as the linchpin, and he might be, I don't think it's I don't think that's a hot take or anything to say if the Lakers are going to win a championship, you need AD healthy. Yeah, absolutely. You also need him playing very, very well. You do. You need him playing at a high level. That's the way this team was set up was to win with LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing very well, playing at a very high level. So you definitely need that, 100%. Intel Wild said, Funny thing is, we finally got rid of Dang's $5 million, but we're going to waste $5 million on none next season. If none is healthy, he's worth $5 million. He's worth it. Look, people around the NBA, when none signed that contract with the Lakers, went, what? The Lakers got him for how much? He was a 15-point-per-game scorer, for the Miami Heat. Sometimes starter. He's worth more than $5 million when he's healthy. People were surprised. And we looked at this as, okay, it's really a one-year deal because there's no way he's picking up that second-year player option. If he's healthy, $5 million is a bargain for none. Now, if he's not healthy, that's where you can say you're wasting that. When we look at Luol Dang's money, though, this is where, and I get this question a lot, fans get a little bit confused. There's the assumption that, okay, Luol Deng's not on the books, therefore $5 million is now available to go spend. That's not how it works. With or without Deng's money on the books, the Lakers are still an over-the-cap team. So that doesn't allow them to go turn around and spend that $5 million. It just lowers the amount over the cap that they are. But they're still over the cap. So, again, it do, it's not like they suddenly get $5 million more to go and, and spend uh, next season that they didn't think they were going to have otherwise. He does come off the books as of July 1st. And yes, that, that will be nice to finally not see $5 million in dead money sitting on the books. But unfortunately, it doesn't give the Lakers some extra spending power. And I know that wasn't really the question that was being asked, but just something I wanted to address. All right. Let's do one more here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, somebody sent me a trade proposal on Twitter. Jalen did. All right, Jalen, let's see what your trade proposal is here. Oh, my goodness. This is a big one. Lakers, Pacers, and Hornets. Hornets get Russell Westbrook and Miles Turner. Pacers get Gordon Hayward, Kendrick Nunn, and Taylor Horton Tucker. And Lakers get Mason Plumlee, Kelly Oubre Jr., Buddy Heald, Malcolm Brogdon, and P.J. Washington. Now, from what I've, I've, I understand, the... Hornets want to bring back P.J. Washington. But 
That's a lot of pieces coming to the Lakers. The Hornets get a guy that they could certainly use, a defensive center in Miles Turner. So I like that side of it. They're giving up, in order to get that, Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre Jr., Mason Plumley. I'd imagine there's probably some picks involved there. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, do the Hornets want to give that up and get Russell Westbrook back? Okay, maybe you incentivize them with some picks, things of that nature. All right, okay. I, I think the Hornets are game there. In fact, I think the Hornets maybe have to give up a little bit. We'll see. You maybe don't have to part with the pick because they're giving... You've got bad salary going out in Gordon Hayward, and then they're getting a guy they could really use in Miles Turner. So there's that there. But I, I, I need to put more thought into that. The Pacers, though, you're moving Turner, who they don't really want to trade. You're moving Malcolm Brogdon, who, again, I think has some value. Not a lot because he's been so hurt. But you're getting Gordon Hayward, another injury-prone guy. You're getting Kendrick Nunn, who doesn't have much value because he's been hurt. You're getting Taylor Horton Tucker, again, doesn't have much value. I think you'd have to add, the Pacers would have to get a lot of picks in this, maybe more picks than you could realistically throw in. And then from the Lakers side, I mean, you're giving up essentially all your assets. I'm assuming the Lakers' first-round picks are in this. You're giving up Russ. You're giving up Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker. So there's not really much you can do after this trade-wise, but you're getting some guys who I really like. I mean, Buddy Heald, Malcolm Brogdon, you're getting P.J. Washington. That's an interesting guy to add in as well. Kelly Oubre Jr., Mason Plumley. So I kind of like it from, from that perspective. I don't I don't dislike that from the Lakers. I think the, the part where it's tripped up might be the Pacers. I don't know if they're getting back stuff they want. But again, I can't see what picks are being involved in, in that trade proposal. But it's interesting. I mean, you took a couple of trade rumors and put them together. And created something that I think is is interesting. You you definitely solved the problem for the Hornets as far as them needing a big defensive center. Again, I think the Pacers part is the part where maybe it, it falls to pieces. But the Lakers, you're giving up some stuff that you probably are going to look to trade regardless. Russell Westbrook, THT, Kendrick Nunn. And you're getting back some guys I think that would really help. That would really help. So not bad. Not bad at all. All right, everybody. I appreciate everybody joining me here tonight. Uh, again, our typical schedule is we go Monday and Wednesdays at 9 o'clock Pacific time. That did not happen tonight because we waited until the conclusion of the Suns and Mavs game. We'll probably do that moving forward, but uh, I'll keep everybody updated on that. Friday, we'll stay the same, 2 o'clock Pacific time. We do our fun Friday, kick off the weekend, get, lets our international viewers get in at a little bit different time. And, uh, and it lets all of us here in the United States celebrate the coming weekend. So Friday, 2 o'clock Pacific time, we'll be back and we'll be doing this again, our live show. Can't wait. I'm excited for it. And again, appreciate all of you who have joined me here. Don't forget, subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. And I love getting those reviews over on Apple Podcasts and that five-star rating, please. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.